0: The Dental Amigos are excited to announce the most fun, the most friendly, and the most nacho-filled CE course in the history of dentistry. Join Paul and Rob on Friday, September 21st, and Saturday, September 22nd in Philadelphia with Dr. Pasquale Venuti all the way from Italy. Pasquale will be sharing innovative ways to save teeth that usually need to be extracted, along with mind-blowing techniques to improve your Class 2 restorations. Our signature Friday night social event will bring you face-to-face with the Amigos, as well as dentists from all over the country. Make new friends, learn, and have fun. Isn't that what Dental CE should be about? We are doing CE right. The Amigo way, the Nacho way. Register now at thedentalamigos.com. Doing CE the right way, the Nacho way, the Amigo way. Register at thedentalamigos.com, and we'll see you in September. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com And now here are the Dental Amigos.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined as always by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Hey, Rob. Great to be here. It's good to have you, Paul. And welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Today, we have a special guest. We're joined by Dr. Mark Costas. Dr. Costas is the founder of the Dental Success Institute, Horizon Schools of Dental Assisting, the co-founder of the Dental Success Network, the author of the Pillars of Dental Success and the host of the ever-popular Dentalpreneur podcast. Uh, Mark runs multiple dental practices. He speaks at dental forums around the world and coaches successful practice owners to help maximize their profits in his mastermind groups. Uh, it's uh, good to read that bio, but I think most people probably know who Dr. Mark Costas yeah, is, true. but for those of you who didn't know, that's, uh, that's our guest today. now, without further ado, uh, here's Mark Costas. And welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show.
2: Hola. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. This is cool. I, I know Paul well. First time getting to chat with you, Rob. So uh, I'm excited to be here.
3: Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. Yeah, great. Great having you, uh, Mark. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you over this past, past year. And we start off, we lead off with the heavy hitting questions. So I know uh, you're in the land of nachos out there in Arizona. I also know from yeah. uh, seeing you personally a few times, you really like to stay in shape and be healthy. But let's say it's the Mark Costas cheat day. You know, what topping are you picking for your nachos and what are you drinking with it?
2: I don't do dairy, so it would be it would be beans, probably, maybe some scallions, definitely pico, and guacamole. There you go.
3: Not, not bad, I, I did say cheat day, that's like my healthy version of nachos, but, uh, you
2: know.
3: You're not kidding. Yeah, no, I, I'm not, so uh, I'll take the rest of that, but yeah, uh, thanks for that.
1: Hey, so Mark, uh, you know a lot of people know you and where you are and how successful you are today, and obviously a, a legend in, in the dental world. But you know, how did you get started? And you know, what was your, your entree into, into practice ownership?
2: Well, thank you. I'm not just gonna gloss over that whole legend part. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, uh, it wasn't pretty. In the beginning, it wasn't pretty. I ran into a fence when I was 16 years old, knocked out most of my front teeth, spent uh, about 18 months um, after that, getting my teeth fixed up in every dental specialty from endo to perio to ortho, even a plastic surgeon, oral surgery. Um, they fixed me up. But what happened during that 18-month period of time is I got a really great familiarity with the profession. Um, all the team that helped put my face back together became my heroes, and I got a deep appreciation for the profession. Um, as a kid that had lots of learning issues and attention problems, um, it was it was difficult for me to get into college in the first place. It was a good thing I played sports, so I played a little bit of sports in college. That helped me um, get into college. But once I was in college, trying to follow that that dream of becoming becoming a dentist was tough because um, I, I didn't learn like most kids. I have a, a little bit of a, a learning disability. I don't read well, um, so it was it was a struggle. Uh, it took me three years and 21 attempts to get into dental school. I persisted. I worked odd jobs. I bought a couple businesses in the meantime. I was getting my um, executive MBA in the in the time uh, in between um, undergrad and school. Finally got in. One acceptance out of 21 tries in three years. Marquette University was the winner. And uh, when I got out, I was a few years behind my peers because it had taken me so long to get into dental school. So with a little, with a tiny little bit of business acumen from my masters in owning previous businesses, I embarked upon this journey of multiple practice ownership, which uh, which has not been pretty at some points. But um, I kind of credit the fact that I've made more mistakes than most people, um, that I've learned a lot about how to do this thing, how to build a practice, how to take a struggling practice or a startup and develop it into a, a profitable.
1: Um, yeah. that, that's a great story. I mean, and it's, it's just the classic of you know, taking adversity and making the most of it, and you know, hearing you know, the challenges that you had getting into school. I have to imagine, obviously, you, know, you were in business before you were in dental school. Even though that's not the yeah. traditional path, that had to have helped you when, uh, when it came time when you left dental school and you were ready for practice ownership. Totally, totally, and and
2: Paul, you'll like this part of the story. You probably don't know this part of the story, but I I owned a roach coach. I owned a catering truck, and it was Mexican food catering truck. Oh, I love so that! we did have nachos on the catering truck. So we would I, I bought a franchise and leased a truck and bought a route. So I would go to different construction sites, honk the horn just like a glorified ice cream man, pop the hood. My cook would be cooking burritos and nachos and and uh, and tacos for the construction workers. Uh, we would cruise in, we'd be there for 15 minutes, close up shop and move to the next construction site. So that was Entrepreneurship 101 for me. At the same time, I was getting my executive MBA and it was funny because as a person that was taking a dip into entrepreneurship for the first time, I thought that the MBA was going to be invaluable to help me run my business. turns out that the MBA was really teaching me how to be a mid-level manager, teaching me about macro and microeconomics, not a whole lot of practical stuff during the MBA. And uh, if, if you were to ask me what was more valuable, the MBA or um, owning the, the catering truck, 10 times out of 10, I'll say the catering truck was a much more valuable business experience. That
3: is, that's is—that's awesome. It's a great story. I, I would have liked to have done that, but I would be like the... Uh when the bartender always has a drink with you every stop I would they pull up I would have nachos with my uh, customers so I probably would <laughs> eat into the profit with that but uh, have you ever seen the movie Chef you were before your time it's a it's a great movie with uh, John Favreau What What is it? It's the movie called Chef with John Favreau it's about like 4 oh, years yeah. old Oh yeah
2: I love that movie
3: Yeah I mean you were before your time that cuz that's like the whole story of what you were doing there there was just no Twitter you needed all those things at that time to uh to do that's great I didn't know that about you and I mean that what uh, echo what Rob had said that really is What we're trying to do here, and I know what you're doing with your awesome um, events like the Dental uh, Success Institute is, you know, uh, business training, a lot of dental students, I've taught in dental schools and residencies, a lot of times dentists is their first job, and that's just difficult, and I didn't have, you know, uh, a story like that, but I was a restaurant server from 16 to 26 in all different types of restaurants, and that's what I credit a lot of my um, customer service, patient service, teamwork, making decisions to because, you know, I've worked at a diner with, I was 16, the other uh, waitresses were all 60. It was the diner, you know, where uh, people didn't get their coffee in a minute, they would go crazy, you know, so uh, I went from that to fine dining. So uh, I was going to ask you because uh, we both speak about this a lot and I'm just interested to hear, you know, you're a third year dental student right now. So what I'd like to, you know, dentists a lot of times have a hard time uh, removing themselves from their own experiences but let's just say you know you' you go back like a back to the future for mark costas you're a third year dental student right now and uh, what are you going to do right after dental school private practice GPR specialty program oh
2: that's a great question see I, I uh, specializing was off the table for me because although I graduated right in the middle of my class that was the Struggled to graduate in the middle of my class because, because of my learning disabilities and my attention problems. So uh, specialty work was always going to be off the table for me. Um, as far as GPR and AETD would have been helpful for me, but I, I was four years behind the rest of my peers. So I really felt, you know, I, had, I was already married. I felt that I had to, to make up for lost time. So I went right into an associateship. The cool thing about my third year of dental school, it's funny that you asked about that. Nobody's ever asked that question. I love that question. Thanks. I, um, I was able to accelerate my clinical requirements and I finished them all at the end of my third year. And there was a special program at Marquette at the time where you could actually go out with one of the instructors of the dental school and work as a dentist in their private office. So my whole fourth year of dental school, I worked as an extern for 20 bucks an hour as a dentist in his Medicare clinic. so oh, that's awesome. His Medicare clinic. Yeah, so I shuck teeth, and I, uh, I learned how to do endo, and um, I got faster with my fillings, and I made dentures, tons of dentures and partials. So, And I watched him, this person, who was in probably the roughest neighborhood in Milwaukee. We had to, there was a cage that we all parked our car in oh, wow. that had um, chain link on all four sides and a roof of chain link. And we parked our cars in there because everything got broken into in that area. But I watched this man, who was a great dentist, um, have one of the most profitable dental offices in Milwaukee proper working on that segment of the population. He was very, very honest. He wasn't, there was no Medicare, Medicaid fraud or anything like that happening. But I learned about extreme efficiency and working several rooms at a time, and that was my background uh, graduating from dental school. So that, uh, that changed my view of what I thought could happen in a dental practice.
3: The, uh, uh, I think that's, I believe, thank you. Oh, sorry. oh, go ahead, Mark, sorry.
2: No, 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 I, I believe that uh, you can perform really, really great work and still work fast and still um, have a great customer experience, a great patient experience, if you have the right system in play.
3: I, I totally agree, and I just think that's just a, a very cool experience at our dental school. We uh, had an externship where, you know, that's where we went to GPRs and AGDs, and we could work for a few weeks, and I just think for dental students, it's such a long road, and, you know, that much has just been so, you know, uplifting to kind of feel like you were in private practice working, and, you know, I wish there was more of that available, but, you know, I'm here with my, my own attorney, Rob, and, you know, he he focuses on the dental world, not all, all types of... Uh, Law, but I just find the laws of dentistry are just so, you know, kind of crazy, you know. In some states you can have EFTAs, in some states you can't. In this state you could do that, in other ones you can't. So I think that just makes it tough on the learning process.
2: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And the funny thing is, I thought that things were going to be more universal, you know. Finally, the, the board exams, part one and part two, are more nationalized, and they're not regionalized or state-specific uh, state now. But then there's still so many different rules about uh, FDAs and now therapists, uh, you know these these people that are coming out able to extract teeth, give anesthesia, and um, do fillings that aren't DDSs or DMDs. So yeah, the the the, uh, the profession still is quite fragmented, I think.
1: Hey, so Mark, what would you say to a third year student today? Like, what, what what should they be thinking about doing to put themselves in the position to to succeed? You know, it's a different it's a different time, obviously, and a different climate. Does does the Mark Costas formula still work, do you think?
2: Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, good question. I think that this is, it's funny, I speak at tons of dental schools, maybe half of the dental schools in the country I've spoken at, and I feel privileged to be asked to go speak to these students. And there are varying levels of business sophistication taught at each school. And um, it, it is, it is, There's there's also this thing called YouTube University. You go to YouTube and you you type in dental business, dental coach, dental marketing, whatever dental you want, and you'll probably find a couple hundred short videos of free content. And then there's business books on on tape if you want it while you're at preclinical lab. You can listen to any number of the best business books in the world. Self-education is so, so important and more accessible than it's ever been. So that is one bit of advice marinate yourself in all the best free content that you can find. The second bit of advice is go to as much discounted continuing education for practice management and clinical that you can while you are still in dental school because it's more than half off typically. So if you have to travel on a Friday and leave a little bit early, early for clinic to go to a great CE event at half price, I say do it 100% of the time even if even if your instructors don't like that very much. Because that is the stuff that's going to move the needle for you when you graduate. The clinical stack that I usually recommend, clinical stack is the three things that I think are the most important when you graduate, is be able to do some sort of endodontics, usually molar endo is very, very important. Be able to take out teeth surgically and do bone grafting. Be able to place implants in in an ideal situation. And you're familiar with those. Within a year or two of graduation, your your stock greatly increases um, in the dental profession.
3: It's, that's an awesome answer, Mark. And we're just uh, you know such, such kindred spirits. And I I echo the same thing. And to go back to you know my uh, talking about how you know I'm, I did look like you when I was a 19. As this just happened to me now here at 40, a <laughs> dad, uh, you know. Yeah. And uh, I when I was 19 years old, I worked in a Mexican restaurant. That's when my love of nachos came, and I was uh, you know eating these tortilla chips all the time that were fresh, but I was like working out all the time. But I would remember, you know, I was very into my own being in shape. So I was calories and things like that. So they had a a menu item, the Mexico City Sampler, which probably illegal to serve now because it probably was like (laughs) 6,000 calories. But what people would do, and I would, you know, just silently judge them inside my head the way you're supposed to. I mean, you know, you can judge people, just don't let it come out of your mouth. Um, But they would say, I'll take the Mexico City Sampler and uh, a Diet Coke, and I was like, I don't know if that is gonna, you know, do it for you. And uh, you know, uh, what you just said about the dental students taking uh, CE, and you know, as our audience grows, I encourage them to do that, and they will say, I can't afford it, or I have loans. But I mean, at this point, I I, I challenge them all to take thousand dollars worth of CE, and what they can do with what they could get, like you said, for free and discounted is so amazing at the right time in their life. I mean, I know we both do things, you know, we were with your Dental Success Network, out at our Amigo events. And I actually tell the students a lot of times, well, we will incur a cost to have you at the event, but it's just so important to be there. And I'm just trying to yeah. get, you know, they're spending 40, 50, $60,000 to go to dental school, and this is just part of their investment. And it really, you can do it, like you said, for a very reasonable amount each year. So I just, uh, I just really agree with that.
2: I totally agree. Usually, you know, you'll, you'll, you know this because you host live events as well. With the cost of hotel food and, and room blocks and all that stuff, it is not cheap to, to host an event. It typically costs between 250 and $275 just to have somebody at the event if they're eating and they're there for two days, right? Yeah. I, I usually charge 200 to 225 for students to come to my event. So I'm actually losing 50 bucks yeah. per dental student that shows up but I usually have about 100 dental students that show up, and I'm happy to donate that to them. Um, there, there's two different things that are happening here. If, if you give the ticket away for free and you eat the whole cost, which is fine, you'll get the, the, the people will value that less. The
3: totally. will value that
2: less. And the no-show rate goes up significantly, right? So so there's two reasons why I have them pay just a little bit of money, even though I'm losing money for every student that's at my, at my event. I want them to show up. But I'm also really, really. Um, I I I feel where they are, and I want to make sure that they don't make the mistakes that I make. So that's my little tiny contribution back to the students that actually show up.
3: Yes, it's great. We're we're very similar, and I you know I'm glad you, you brought that out to the listeners.
1: It's cool. Hey, so Mark, uh, you own nine practices. That that's
2: right. I own eight. I'm under contract for one. Okay, so, eight uh, and almost I don't nine. Own the nine yet.
1: So, in this, yeah. in this world now, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of people that, that aspire to owning multiple practices and, you know, with the DSO deals that we see, there are obviously a lot of, you know, uh, economics that, uh, that, that turn out positively for doctors and certainly they're, they're the stories that everybody hears about the, the great financial successes and people selling big group practices. But as, you know, a group practice owner, you know, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that everything's not rosy every day. You know what. Tell us, you know, a thing or two that you know may not be obvious to to people that are that think that they want to own, you know, more than five practices. You know, what 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 are what are what are some of the things that are sort of like, ah yeah, I hadn't thought about that, that that you can kind of impart in our listeners.
2: Okay. So, um, how much time do you got, Rob? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We've got another half an uh, hour, Mark. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, Crazy the the amount of and I, I don't want to sound condescending to anybody because everybody that's listening that owns a dental practice understands the complexity of owning a dental practice the fact that you have to wear the clinician's hat and you have to wear the manager's hat and the HR hat and the marketing hat and um, and all the different hats that come along with practice ownership but you know just like what they say when you go from one child to two as as um, as Paul understands, it is to. not twice as hard. It's exponentially harder to have two kids, and when you go from two to three, it is not one times harder than two. It is exponentially harder to go to three. Um, I would say the same thing, and I love the analogy that uh, that Paul always uses. As uh, you know, ch- uh, uh, raising children is the same as owning dental practices. It's so true. I just got handed from my CFO. Um, my EBITDA per practice. So I have eight line items here for my overhead percentage and my EBITDA per practice. Now, something that um, people need to understand is when you are involved in the DSO space, gross revenue, a percentage of gross revenue does not mean anything anymore. So if you're evaluating a practice, typically a million dollar practice on the open market, sometimes you can get between 60 and 80 percent of gross revenue. When you're Selling in the DSO space, they don't care how much your gross revenue is. They're looking at your profitability.
1: And that's so and just EBITDA, for our listeners. Uh, Mark uh, EBITDA is that—that sure. that is uh, uh, earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation and amortization. So right. that's basically, folks, we're talking about profit of, of the practice with with those things backed out.
2: Right, right. Thank you, Rob, for bringing that up. I, I'm so used to just spouting these uh, terms off but, um So you know, if if you own practices and they're each doing a million dollars a piece and you fall into the overhead range of 68 to 72 on average uh, overhead Um, and then you add that's that's average overhead in the United States and then you add 30% of provider salary to that. If you add 68 plus 30 you're at 98%. That particular practice if you're an average practice in the United States that practice has an EBITDA of 2%. So your valuation on that practice will be some factor of that 2%. That's virtually a a, um, a worthless practice in the eyes of a DSO purchaser. Right. So there's a whole different level of sophistication that has to happen if you're in this DSO space. Sure, you can sell these on the open market, maybe 68 to 80% of gross revenue, but you're not going to sell um, a bundle of them to private equity and expect to get a great multiple um, unless you're very, very profitable. So that is that is just one reason why this DSO and multiple practice space is so different than owning one or two practices that you're going to sell on the open market. If you want to get those big numbers, those 10, 12, 15 multiples of EBITDA, you have to have a really profitable practice or private equity doesn't care to purchase you um, and you're going to be you know, stuck selling on the open market one at a time—that's one thing. But then, you know, there's there's multiple um, multiple issues with staff and compliance and and all different kinds of things that are really really um, complex. That uh, that many people don't think about um, when when you're talking about multiple practice ownership. I still think it's one of the best ways to shorten the retirement timeline and to rapidly increase. Your net worth, but uh, there's there's a lot to consider. When you're getting into this game.
3: That's really great content you shared, Mark. And we, you know, uh, but we're about to have our uh, second child in uh, three weeks, and we have uh, two practices. Yeah. So I'm hoping our uh, second child goes better than our second practice because if not, I'm going to want to return the child in a year. So I don't know if you can return a child. You definitely uh, can uh, Yeah. All. So, uh, but one of the things I, you know, you and I have a lot of similarities. And first, you have to really like dentist if you do this, like you have to really like working with dentists. And because, yeah. you know, you need these dentists to be the chefs inside of your restaurants, whether you have dental restaurants, whether you have one practice, eight practices or another 18 practices. But I do want to bring something up, which you had a guy, you had someone speak at the Dental Success Network who was just so awesome. He was the one who flew in from his vacation. And I, I don't want to misspake his name. He was one of your mentors. He wasn't a dentist. He was more of a consultant or coach. Um, he, he, he left his vacation to come to see you, uh, um,
2: what
3: you was talking, his? you talking about Alistair McDonald? Alistair McDonald was one, maybe one with him, one of those two, and they were giving a, uh, a talk, and I was listening, we did the Dental Success Network, it was great, I mean, I was honored to speak, and I just loved listening to, the thing, listening to the other speakers, but he said something that really almost made me burst out laughing. Uh, it generally, he goes. You know, when you're the dentist in your practice, don't put yourself up on a pedestal. Pedestal. Don't you know? Think too highly of yourself. You know, uh, don't make it like you're a big deal. And I just burst that last thing because when you're a multi practice owner, I think about myself last every day, and I think everybody else does right. too. <laughs> so like <laughs> I'm true. like, yeah. I remember
2: who it was. It was Dr. Alan Gator. He actually was a dentist.
3: Oh, gotcha. Dentist okay. Medication
2: yeah yeah he's great so i mean i just but, think you have to oh, be God.
3: willing to think about yourself last and dentists aren't trained to think that way from dental school
2: yeah. so so hey, Mark, i'm Mark, the wait? last line item i'm the last line Last yeah. to get paid out of out of 17 docs I'm the yeah. last one for sure
1: i think it's it's interesting just back to the dso and how they how they price deals i mean and, it, and it's it's interesting because obviously we we represent groups uh you know larger groups and and you know sole uh single uh location practice owners but you know in the whole business world of valuing practices in the transition world you know the whole like percentage of of collections is such a warped way to look at the the health of any business you know so for yeah. people that even aren't considering doing a dso deal you know, like it, it should whenever you're working with somebody that's outside of your space that comes in and are looking at it differently, I think you kind of have to pay attention. So the the reason why the DSO deals do that is because these are money people and they, yeah. they're looking at it like somebody that's gonna make a responsible investment. They don't care how much revenue there is, they wanna know how much money they're gonna make. And I think even dentists that aren't looking to do a DSO deal should really approach their practice and think about running it like a business that's going to be more profitable, not necessarily bigger or with greater revenue, but making more money. I mean, taking on insurance plans for the sake of having more patients or higher revenue, if you're not making more money, doesn't get you anywhere, it it's not, doesn't make yeah. your practice more valuable. In, the, in the, what is the, the Warp Dental Valuation world, it's sort of a status thing to say I do two million dollars of revenue. Yeah, but so what if, you're, if your profitability is zilch, yeah. you know? Like, what matters yeah. is, is really making the money and being profitable.
2: Oh, gosh, what you are speaking, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, think about this. Let's bring it back to my um, my roach coach slash catering truck business, right? It was a business because I leased the truck, I had fixed and variable expenses, and I paid my cook, and the cook ended up on, in the line item of, things that I had to pay. If I was the cook, I, I would sh- show up as an expense, right? So dentists think that the 30% that they're making for their production is profit. Mm-hmm. And so their their business that has 70% overhead, they're paying themselves 30%. They they mistakenly think that that, that dental practice is 30% actually is not profitable at all. It has zero profit. That 30% is a line item. So what you have to take into account is fixed and variable expenses the doctors pay. Anything that's left over after that is what's profitable. And the healthiest range you can think of is 15 to 20% profitable, meaning that your fixed and variable expenses should be of less than 60%. And then you, you're going to pay your providers 30%. And
1: And that's coming from guys that are in it for the money, right? Yeah. That's, you should take a cue from them, right?
3: And it, yeah. what we were doing, Mark, I mean, this is I'm just it'd be excited for our listeners to hear this. This is the type of stuff they should share with dental students, and I get a lot of pushback on the Facebook message boards about this, and they say, you know, the, they're spending too much time, you know, they need to teach them all these other things. But this is equally as valuable, if not more valuable, and even if they just had heard the three minutes that you had talked about as third and fourth year dental students. I just am a big fan of, you know, they'll be thinking about this. They'll they'll have some knowledge of it. They may not be able to, you know, go out and execute that right after dental school, but it's important that they just hear this language, hear these terms, because uh, I like it. I may have used this to start your your my lecture at your, your event, but, you know, it's like I wouldn't, you know, if I was going to have a child, I wouldn't have, the child wouldn't get here and be like, well, maybe I should try to hold the child. You know, you'd practice ahead of time, and these are the things that really determine the, Success and failure, a lot of times the emotional stability of a dentist, and I just think it's such a shame we we have these captive audiences. I'm sure you do. I go to dental schools too, but what we do is sort of visiting guest lectures. just not enough.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally true. I mean, it's like drinking from a fire hose when we get there. I don't want to scare them away, but at the same time, I I just want to inform them of what they don't know. They don't even know what they don't
3: know. Yeah, very true.
2: I, I say in the first line, you guys don't know what you don't know. I want to teach you what you don't know. And if you, if I teach you what you don't know and then I leave, I will have done my job because that's about all you can do in 90
3: minutes. Yeah, that's great. I did want to ask you, because I found it interesting and I've been making, you know, I, you and I, I, you know, I think I had the picture of me dressed like you one day uh, uh, when you were out and about. Uh, the 3D x-ray van, tell me a little bit about how that's going for implants. I love implants. I thought that was a cool, cool thing. Um, idea, is that, is that out, out in the real world yet?
2: Yeah, I just picked it up. I'm, I'm looking out uh, the, the windows of my studio, and it is sitting right there. Prexion has not come up to train my staff yet, but it is it is here. I have six local practices, within uh, probably within 45 minutes of the main hub. So rather than putting six $83,000 CVCT uh, machines in six practices, I bought a Ford Sprinter van, and we outfitted it. Uh, We fabricated a a very, very nice interior, and um, we mounted the CBCT inside that van. It was a lot more expensive than I thought it was going to be. The the total project cost me about $145,000, but I still think it'll pencil out if this van will will be able to take our scans at all six practices. So as as, uh, as soon as we start to, Taking the scans and uh, utilizing it for surgeries in our offices and sleep, um, I think that uh, it's going to more than more than pay for itself.
3: Yeah, awesome idea, and I think it's just going to also just be such a great learning tool for all the young dentists that you have there. Even if they're just looking at scans, but they're not placing implants for they get to evaluate cases and they'll be able to talk to their patients better, so uh, awesome idea there.
1: Mark, was there any consideration about adding a food component to the, to the van to, <laughs> yeah. to go between the offices <laughs> to kind of monetize the vehicle a little more?
2: Oh man, what a great idea. Maybe I could pull like a, a barbecue behind it. It could be barbecue and CBCTs, that's not a
1: bad idea. Exactly, with, with the practice flags on there, advertising the location. Yeah, yeah right? I like that, that's a great idea. Free barbecue for your I first uh, your first visit, right?
2: All uh, right. You don't mind if I borrow
1: that idea? Not at all. Not at all. Hey, Mark, You know, I know Paul has been to uh, the Dental Success Summit and I've heard of it. But if you could just, uh, you know, I've heard great things about the event. But for those people that are listening that aren't familiar with it, if you could just take a few minutes just to talk about that and what that's all about and what you what you like to do there.
2: Sure. So, you know, we've been talking for 31 minutes and 30 seconds so far. Um, I try to cram as much tangible, usable information into every podcast interview that I do, every podcast that I actually host myself. We try to, to, uh, We should have this podcast
3: every day. That. that was that, your, your team was great, and I mean, it, you know, I just think you built such a cool team. Even you know, that AV I, I got to connect with him again, it was so nice to me, could do. Um, and I wanted to also meet you know, that's how I, where I met Reese and you know, got a chance to Reese Harper. You know, what's more than just your information, too, which I know you're focused on, it's, it's just the what I'm such a big proponent of is just Dennis being in the same room as each other, eating lunch, talking yeah. to each other. And I mean, that's just part of the magic of CE as well. And you know when you, I, we're, we are mirroring some of this with our two day events. I really believe that events like that, that are just, you know, multi-day and not too long, you just get a chance to really know some people. And, and I, I made new friends there and uh, I was really glad to. So, I mean, I just think that's uh, just such a fantastic concept. And I really, every dentist should try to get there because you're, you're, Your mixture of dentists from dental students to some in 40 years in practice was just awesome.
2: I appreciate that. I would say that 90% of the contacts that I've made in dentistry and growth is all about the people that you know and the contacts that you make. Yourself and Reese Harper, perfect example. Every time I go to a conference, whether I'm speaking or just an attendee, all the magic happens at the happy hour or at lunch or uh, the breaks in between sessions. those with people and really meeting the people that you need to
1: meet that'll that'll bring your operation to the next level I honestly believe that yeah totally yeah, and I think and Paul says this too and I, I totally agree I mean that's why we do these live events I mean there's a lot that you can do through webinars and electronically and remotely but there really is no substitute for for being in a room and just talking to people and meeting people and there's I think that there's always there always should be yeah. uh, space and, and room for for that in your dental education
2: Great,
1: 100%. So. When is the uh, when's the next event that that you're doing, Mark?
2: I knew you guys were going to ask that <laughs> when you led with that question. It is the <laughs> it is the last weekend in March this year. It's a Thursday, Friday. I don't have the exact date. I, I believe it's the 27th, 28th, but
3: I I think I it's remember. 28th and 29th because I got it down. so I, I think so, those are the days. So people 20th, are just... there
2: you go. Thank you so much. 28th and 29th because. Uh, because Dr. Paul will be speaking for the second year in a row, and I rarely do that. But you were—you had such a great reception there; people loved you, so had to come back for a for a farewell. Thanks,
3: Mark. Tour. Usually two or three times when people are sick of me, so maybe I'll do three. It's like uh, you know, it's like the Warriors, right? Like, nobody <laughs> wants them to win again, so you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so true. And Mark, so true. how do people find uh, find out about the event or get more information? Do you have a, a website or uh, that you could give out to our, yeah. our audience? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, if you guys go to uh, several different ways. I'll start with uh, the main website is truedentalsuccess.com. Any information, any specific information, if you want to be on the podcast, any specific information about any of our programs or live events, go to info at truedentalsuccess.com and my, my staff will, will answer any questions that you guys have. I'm also on Facebook, Dental Success Institute on Facebook, Dental Success Institute on Instagram, um, and uh, the Dental Podcast. So any one of those outlets will lead you back to
1: me personally, that's great. Well, Mark, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure and an honor of speaking to you. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on today.
2: Hey, had a great time, Rob and Paul. Thank you guys so much. Keep on doing what you're doing for the profession.
1: Thanks, Mark. I can't
3: I can't
0: wait to see you again in person, and uh, we appreciate you being on. Next
2: lot Take care, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos, and don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.